live, Jeff. We're live. And we're live. This is live television on the internet, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Mormon's General Conference Recap Edition for our April 2021 General Conference. What a delightful weekend. Uh, normally, we'd have this to you a little bit earlier, but because of Easter, we thought better for all involved that you know we weren't just like ditching our families and whatever else to produce this podcast. So here we are on Monday night instead, ditching family home evening, and we're all excited to be here and talk about the conference weekend with all of you. So I'm stoked. I had a great weekend, and I can't wait to hear what all of our, our panelists thought of it as well. I will introduce them now. Uh, panelists, you may you may greet the audience as I read your name if you want. So Kurt Franken from Leading Saints is here. What's up, buddy? Hey, I'm just uh, glad to be here, Jeff. And, and I, uh, you keep asking me back. But here I am. I know it's a, it's a weird relationship we have. It, just, it is. I can't quit you, Kurt. I can't quit you. <laughs> I love you, Jeff. Love I'm glad you. we can do this. I love you too. I love you too. I always think of the yogurt land where we met up in Salt Lake City, and my son ran behind the counter, and I had to go. Chase it's him our out. place, Jeff. It's our good, place. That's our, our place. special place. Also joining us, wonderful from the upcoming sequel to Once I Was a Beehive, Once I Was Engaged. Haley Smith is here. Hi, Haley. Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm a it's, first timer, but. I also love frozen yogurt, so well, as as what you should. <laughs> so, yeah, it's great to have you. You can also see Haley on Show Offs, the improv comedy show on BYU TV, which is I think all the back episodes and the currently recorded ones are there, and that's a good time. Mm-hmm. Also, as teased last week, Soraya Wilson, how you doing? I'm so good. Thanks for letting me come join you guys. I'm excited. We're glad to have you here. It's going to be great. Going to be great. And now I don't know who's next. There they are, the twin sisters. Hey. <laughs> Look at them. Look how happy they are. <laughs> hey, what can we say? We're in the great state of Idaho. It's a wonderful place to be. Yeah, which gets another temple inexplicably. Enough. I know. We'll talk about that in a few. <laughs> um, anyway, also joining us from, let's see, far and wide, Jared Jones, another fellow East Coaster here up in Massachusetts. How are you doing, sir? Good. Good to be here. Jared writes our Latter-day Saint Video Vault column, if you've been reading those for the past couple of years, that recap all sorts of random old church-produced uh, films, both short and long. And that's one of my favorite things to read. And last but not least, the blondest person I know, Justin Homer. That's me. Claim to fame. Thanks What's for up, having Virginia? me back. Virginia, unite. That's, that's right. Nice, yes. Dustin and I, of course, you know Dustin from years ago for Sunday School Bonanza on the regular, and he also shows up on TWIM on occasion. Uh, Thanks to all of you who are watching on Facebook, by the way. You are all welcome to comment on Facebook. Give us your thoughts. Ask questions. Oh, my goodness. It's it's linked up on Facebook and we see things. Kurt, you've taken us to the next level. I know. I'll send you my invoice. Sounds great. I mean, this stream yard, this, this duck with an S on his head, this whole thing is just, this is amazing. Well, this is great. So if you comment on Facebook, if you have thoughts, please share those. And we'll be uh, more than happy to see your comments, assuming they you know, are complimentary and, and make everyone yeah. look good, especially me. So <laughs> it was a great weekend. What did everybody think? I mean, this was it's kind of fun to have a day to sort of come down from all of it and think about everything. But uh, real quick, getting it out there. What were your big takeaways? Go. I loved that it was just on Easter. It was like a lot of just great Easter talks, just a lot of talks about this is Christ. This is the atonement. This is what it means for you. This is the power it can bring into your lives. I thought that was pretty um, fulfilling and rewarding. Uh, of course, it came off like the week before, two weeks before I had state conference. And I think they were hoping to be uplifting, but they had someone speak who, whose wife, it was a six month anniversary of his wife's death was one of the speakers. Mm-hmm. Another speaker was a young boy who had been mauled by a dog recently, but had recovered. And so I was like, I don't know if this is what they're going for. So I didn't get the uplift there, 
but I definitely got it here, so I was excited about it. <laughs> Program a lot of Christ talking, a little. A lot of Christ talk and a little bit of Constitution, Jeff. I mean, what more yes. do you want? Just a wee bit. Meeting? And on Easter, you know? on Easter Sunday, no less, that we got to. Well, I'm right. sure. I imagine we'll get into Elder Oak's remarks yeah. at some point. They were. Uh, I think <laughs> well, they're the ones that are so far having the greatest legs. A couple a day later, compared to yeah. any others. I kind of thought the Parade of Nations on Sunday morning mm-hmm. was kind of cool. That was really cool. Something that we've never seen before. We've never seen just boom, 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 boom. And they, every time they announced them, they're like, and this person's native land is, and then to have the choirs from all over the world. I, I just, I really thought that was neat. Oh, the children's choir. Oh, the children's choir was so cool. I have to say huge highlight for me. It was just, we, I want that every conference. (laughs) So it's like like more of that, please. Right. I don't know. Sorry, Haley, go ahead. No, I was going to say funny story on Saturday. I randomly texted a couple of my friends and I was like, I would love to see a conference with like all minorities and women. And, and, and my friends were joking. They're like, yeah, you should get on that. And then the next morning, my friend texts me. She's like, that was really fast. (laughs) And I was like, I don't know. I just put it out there. And the universe responded. So it was pretty cool. I was like, Oh my gosh, the wish granted. Um, you know, could use more women, of course, but it was awesome. It was we did awesome. only we only got two female talks, which I think is a like maybe one less than we normally get most conferences, it seems. And and no women prayed. Oh, was, there was there was a Eubank at there the end. Mr. did at the end. I'm sorry. I was I was so taken back by what <laughs> you, you were out of there. there. I was. I was no, there. but we had the same discussion last night at Easter dinner. We thought, you know, it was so awesome to see all of the different nations and and to hear them acknowledge like we want, you know, to have all these people talk. And then I had told Tiffany, I don't want to sound like ungrateful, but <laughs> I would really love if we could also just have a few more women represented, you know, um, and they really hit home on the point a couple times that over 50% of the church lives outside of the United States, um, which is why they were including, you know, more trying to be more yeah. inclusive and which is so true. And now we need to like also think well over 50% of 50% of the church is also female. <laughs> so maybe just a couple more, just, just a, little bit. a little bit. And I don't want to yeah. sound like, greedy but you know i i felt the same way i always I feel that way that. I think half the church is female we should have a lot more speakers a lot more people praying um i i thought it was beautiful and i think because of my industry and what i do we talk a lot about representation and how important it is to see yourself on screen and that you know you you get your stories and you kind of learn who you are by what you are seeing or reading and so i think what is it like for a kid sitting in hong kong to see a native person get up and speak in general conference? What's it like for a kid from Africa who gets to see someone get up who looks like him and is from his you know same place? And I don't think we understand that because like we're all white people here, right? So we don't have that issue. But um, Sorry about I that, everybody. I, I failed. Yeah. I, I'm just finding all of <laughs> you. Know, but I, I think it's important. And I, I, I don't think most people realize how important it is and what it means to other people to be able to see that and experience it. Yeah, yeah it was really cool. I thought one of the other interesting metrics they threw out there with all these these over 50% we're talking about, this must have happened in the past six months because two different talks, I think only two, mentioned that over 50% of the church is either never married, widowed, or divorced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? yeah. So basically over 50% of the church does not have a spouse. Um, and they've never mentioned that before. So that's why I have to wonder if just something shifted over the past little bit. And that's obviously something they care about as well because I think we so often... 
you know, uh, President Ballard hinted at the the single members a little bit. But I think we think of the single members of the church as a minority that's somewhere more like, I don't know, like 20% of the church is single yeah. of the adult population or something like that. I think we, I think our minds are in that space. Mm-hmm. And then we don't realize, no, 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 no. It is something uh, much, much larger than that. And, and I know like our wards are different. I think like my personal ward is probably only like, you know, 10 to 15% single. But I think globally, that's something we've got to consider yeah. a lot more in terms of the programming and, uh, and what we yeah. put forth. And it was so interesting. I thought I was like, oh, okay. So then if it's more than 50% that are not in this, what we have always considered traditional family, what, what does the traditional family look like? You know, is it, does it look different now than what, (laughs) that's what they seem to indicate. So I I wondered if it was going to, it was going to change leadership because a lot of leadership roles require that you have a spouse. Like you, we don't, we don't really see single bishops, right? We, no. You know, I mean, no, it does happen, but it's pretty rare. I thought, I wonder if announcing this is starting to prepare us for another big paradigm shift in the church where we start seeing, you know, a really side president who is single, you know, and is not married. So. And it's funny on that because a few days before conference, um, they did make some changes to the handbook that said they didn't say a single brother could be bishop explicitly, but I guess on the books previously, a single brother could not be in the bishopric or be in the stake presidency, for example. Right. Uh, and now at least that little part of it's changed. I yeah. like what you're saying as well about about sisters in the same boat. Um, I think that's good. I mean, I think that was obviously deliberate too because they realized. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what the rules are because I saw somebody said like a single person could be in the high council. And I'm like, I know a lot of guys who have been single men in the high council. So I don't know if that was like a sort of rule, sort of not a rule before. I'm not quite sure. Maybe Kurt knows because mm-hmm. he's been, you know, basically like every calling. <laughs> yes, pretty much. Should, would you like me to go through my resume right now, yeah, Jeff? Please. Uh, <laughs> I think it was like an unwritten rule. So like it didn't say one way or the other. So now they're maybe writing it down and it's sort of setting, encouraging people to actually consider those individuals. So that's great. Well, I had read leading up to general conference, um, some sort of a summary on the leadership training that they always do for the leadership two or three days before general conference. And that elder Ballard in that leadership training had also focused on that statistic that, you know, 50% of the people are unmarried, uh, divorced, or widowed. And so I, you know, I think that, that that is probably what started it off. And hopefully, obviously, I don't know everything that happened in that leadership training, but hopefully maybe they are trying to shift the focus to say, you know, hey, while yes, it is wonderful to have a traditional family, we have to acknowledge there are a lot of members of our church who do not fall into that category. So maybe we need to look at this differently. Maybe we need to change some of the vernacular that we use to make it feel more inclusive to those people, uh, you know, who aren't in what has in the past been called a traditional family. So I I think we're going to see a shift in focus. I've been thinking a lot about how the last couple of years, President Nelson has been very focused on reminding us that we're gathering Israel, right? I mean, like, that's what we're doing. We're preparing the world for the second coming. And gathering Israel means being a lot more expansive. And that was like the big thing I was thinking about at the end of the day yesterday was everything you've been saying about representation, about, you know, really kind of reaching a much broader subset of humanity with our message and with the way that we portray ourselves. Like, that's that's gathering Israel. Right. And so like that for me, it was thinking about the last couple of years and saying, and this is what it looks like in practice, or these are the changes that happen in practice. If we're really going to realize this, you know, huge prophetic vision. 
Absolutely. I also felt like shifting a little bit, there seemed to be many remarks that were essentially saying, be nice to each other. Uh, I thought yes. more so than in past. I mean, I can't imagine why, uh, but yeah. a lot. It's been a vitriolic year. It's kind of weird how a pandemic, I guess a pandemic plus a contentious U.S. election and a lot of stuff is, a lot of stuff's come to a head at once. Um, but I think the pandemic has definitely exacerbated lots of tensions and emotions and just made so much erupt that would not have perhaps done so otherwise. And I, I, I can't even count how many talks we're just saying, like, seriously, be better to each other because it's getting, it's getting out of hand. I mean, I think my favorite one was Alder Renland of all the ones that stuck out at me the most. I mean, there was that, that I'm going to paraphrase a bit, but, you know, we just said, like, don't, be, don't cast stones and also, like, catch the stones other people throw. Yeah. That's, a, that's a great, what a great metaphor. I love that yeah. so much. I think that's so powerful and useful and is a good reminder to us because I, I think I might try to remember not to cast stones, which can be difficult. I enjoy a, what I will call a spirited debate, but spirited debates can devolve into something, <laughs> you know, less positive, I think. Uh but not even to cast the stones in the first place, but also to literally get in there and be a peacemaker and try to stop the other ones, try to stop other people from lobbing stuff at one another. I think that's really, really good advice. Yeah, I uh, love. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, I kind of hope a phrase or a saying that that picks up is, you know, a, a question that we can say, are you are you casting stones? Or are you catching stones mm-hmm. to make people stop and think? Yeah, I I loved it. That that part was probably my favorite takeaway. And he said, not throwing stones is the first step in treating others with compassion. The second step is to try to catch stones thrown by others. And I felt like he was giving us like this higher law, like, okay, be kind to people, but then also protect each other, look out for each other. And that just rocked my world. I was like, yes, that is what we're here to do. We're not just supposed to, you know, refrain from saying mean things, but you know, be a champion of kindness and help those who are, don't have the same, you know, opportunities that you do or that can benefit from your help and the things you have. His whole talk was really interesting, wasn't it? Cause it wasn't, that was one part we focused on, but the whole, uh, his whole talk was mostly on unfairness, which I thought was a, a great thing to get into this year in general. I mean, the very fact that the pandemic disproportionately affects people who are already susceptible to other disadvantages, like that's just not fair. Like plenty of things are unfair no matter what we do. And I think it can be, it can be really hard to stomach that and deal with it, especially when we have, like, hopefully we have testimonies. And I think we have a good understanding in the church that, you know, it's not like, why does God let this happen? That's a natural feeling to have for a lot of people. And I think we have a lot of doctrine that explains that, but it doesn't make it any less tender. I guess when it does happen, to us. you know, we talk. He spoke about John's choices creating inequality, not parental actions. I I love Elder Remland. I, I, he's got a very very calm delivery, and so I, I think not everyone kind of grasps on to what he's saying sometimes immediately. But I think he he has so many just thoughtful, sensitive things to share with all of us. Mm-hmm. And you know, like in that vein a lot of like very obvious post pandemic, like thoughtful discussions about big issues that have been coming up, right? Like abuse was mentioned in at least three talks, right? Like notably by Elder, Elder Holland, but like a couple of other times, like more than I've heard it mentioned in a long time. It's obviously been, been a major issue during lockdowns in the last year. That was like one that kind of stuck out to me. You know, obviously we spoke about unfairness and also a lot of talks about death, right? Like a lot of people really grappling with and engaging in some like really powerful stories. Um, you know, about what happens when people die and how we deal about it and how we think about 
resurrection, but I think I heard death talked about more in this conference than I've probably ever heard in my life. Right. And, and I mean, you know, it makes sense. Right. But it's a real like broad prophetic response to like the really harsh things that the whole world has been dealing with. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, what other big announcements do we have over the weekend? So, um, 20 have, temples, Jeff, 20 temples. Talk about blowing amazing. the mind. I mean, when we work on like, you know, a lot of you listening know we do our temple predictions. We record a podcast talking about our temple predictions. We publish all of them. Uh, it's admittedly gotten harder in the Nelson era, I think, because a lot of the classic indicators are not always enough, which becomes very interesting. Or And it's a great blessing. It literally means we're talking about putting temples in places that have two stakes, which never, never would have happened 15 years ago. That just was not a thing. Um, so I think President Nelson is so bullish about temples. That's just who he is. It's the first thing he talked about when he had his little press conference, you know, and he gave remarks to the church when he was ordained the prophet, he focused on temple work. And that's clearly something very dear to him. And that's been confirmed by the Lord for them to go forward with. And I just think getting 20, of course, nobody would have guessed. I would have been usually six to 10, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I read that this is the second yeah, highest number. I just heard an echo of myself. Church. Where is this? <laughs> Sorry. It's Ariane. Sorry. Oh, Don't load Facebook on your phone, Ariane. I know that's what you did. I know it. You got to mute it. You got to mute it. So. All right. They're gone. That's it. They're <laughs> she thought it was on. You know what? My whole phone is not on mute. I'm going to fix that right now. Don't okay. First thing you do is silence your phone at church or when you do a podcast. It's <laughs> fair. Um, so Jeff, how did you fare with the uh, anyway? So so anyways, not like about us, but it's crazy that we got twenty. That's the second yeah. most ever announced in a general conference. President Hinckley beat it back in in ninety eight when he announced the so called mini temple effort. As we've looked back on it, you know, when when they said we're going to build all these very same exact design, just chuck them all over the country. A lot of them went like the southeast U.S. Um, get, that way we could get to a hundred. The goal was to get to a hundred, but this is the second most in one session. So twenty temples, and how did we? We did pretty well. I mean. With 20, you think we'd do okay. At the same time, there's no way we're going to like hit on all of those because we never predict 20 in the first place anytime we do this. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, a little hard in that in that sense. Uh, for anyone who missed it, I'll read them off real quick. And I will try to read them just as well as a general authority reads them when it comes to uh, pronouncing foreign tongues. I will do my best. But anyway, Oslo, Norway, which we talked about before. Uh, Brussels, Belgium totally blew my mind. I would never have predicted one in Belgium. There's a temple in Paris. There's a temple in the Netherlands. There's a temple in London. There's a temple in Frankfurt. There's like one stake in, in Brussels. But hey, who knows? This is what happens. Uh, likewise, Vienna, Austria is going to get a temple. And I'm stoked to see three temples in Europe. I served my mission in Europe. I went to school. In Europe. I, I'm a Europhile, so that's fun. I think I said on the temple podcast last week, because Joseph asked me directly, like, do you think we'd get one in Vienna? And I was like, well, no, because I announced one in Budapest, like down the road. What do I know? Nothing. I'm not a prophet. So, uh Kumasi Ghana is one we talked about. That was one we predicted this time. Bera Mozambique did not come across our radar. Bera is kind of in the midpoint of Mozambique. It's a popular um, shipping destination in terms of worldwide transit. You might have seen a little bit of that in the news of late because of a certain canal. Uh, Cape Town, South Africa, I'm shocked actually came to pass because I actually called that my sort of just totally out there. I'm going for it prediction and go figure. Uh, Singapore, we've talked about. That's great for them. Uh, Belo Horizonte, Brazil, we talked about as well. Uh, Kali, Colombia never came across my radar. That'll be Colombia's third temple. There's a temple in Bogota and a temple in uh, Maracaibo, not Maracaibo. Maracaibo's in, in uh, the other country, Venezuela. Barranquilla, that's what I'm thinking of. Um, where are we here? Uh, 
Querétaro, Mexico. This was the one I had to wait for the church's press release to know what President Nelson actually said. <laughs> so I was like, what was that word? What, what was, I was like, Ferrado, Mexico. Anyway, Federale. Um, so that's cool. That's going to be in Mexico. I actually have a map here. I can, if I screenshot, maybe I can show everybody. Uh, that town is sort of close to Mexico City. Another one's going in Torreon, Mexico, which is a farther up north, kind of closer to Monterey and Durango. And where else are we? Helena, Montana. Awesome for Montana. Good for them. They need one in the Western Montana. Casper, Wyoming. I saw floated around, but we didn't call it. Grand Junction, Colorado. Great for the Coloradans and the least Coloradan part of Colorado. Maybe Haley can call me on that, but that's my how I feel about it. Uh, Farmington, New Mexico. I have seen in some circles as well. That's awesome for them. Burley, Idaho, which is not one I would have picked. I don't know how my Idahoans are feeling about that one because Burley's not a particularly substantial. Isn't this like putting a temple in Blackfoot? I mean, it's, it's where you stop for gas yeah. on the way yeah. to Provo. Burley has two purposes one to get gas, second to eat a burger. And you really never travel more than a mile off the interstate. Yeah. And the wind always blows in Burley. And Burley's oh. only like 20 miles from Twin Falls. It is not very far from the Twin Falls Temple. So that's another reason why I was shocked. We were shocked. We it's were pretty, shocked. It's pretty fast. And I'm assuming a lot of these will wind up being smaller temples. Because yeah. even these ones that have been going in for areas with two stakes have been much smaller buildings than like, you know, some of the massive ones we're seeing in Utah, for example. Uh, Eugene, Oregon. That's cool. I think that'll be Oregon's third. Elko, Nevada. Good for Elko. I'm assuming that's a play to... <laughs> the poor remote people of Elko, Nevada, who I've just, there's nothing else there. So they need a temple. Uh, then Smithfield, Utah, we predicted, of course, that's uh, Cache Valley. Cache Valley is kind of overdue for another one. And then the one that of course had me jump up and say, what? Uh, you're Belinda, California, my homeland. So that was kind of hilarious to me when I grew up in the city next door, Placentia, your Belinda was in my state growing up and your Belinda is basically my backyard. And that's where I've spent much of my life prouncing around. So I was just like, are you kidding me? That's hilarious to me and awesome. And I'm sure as you can imagine, I spent much of the afternoon texting and messaging various groups of people back home who were just like, are you serious? The funniest thing, I'm sorry to talk for so long about this, but the, about the Yorba Linda Temple, it's awesome. Great blessing. It's not particularly far from Newport Beach where there's a temple right. like, like Boohoo. You get on the freeway for 25 minutes and you're in Newport Beach. It's not the end of the world, really. But um, if you look at a map compared to where like the Los Angeles temple is, the Redlands temple out by San Bernardino, your Belinda is kind of the midpoint there. So, okay. But the hilarious thing is that's not actually hilarious, but tragic. They disorganized my home stake like three months ago <laughs> because members are leaving the area and not being replenished through other means. And so they're down a stake in the region and they consolidated a bunch of wards and so it's kind of funny to actually be putting a temple in an area that's pretty much just losing members on paper. But obviously, this could be a rallying cry. This could get yeah. people excited again. And that's awesome. Yeah. And hopefully, it turns things around. Uh, and uh, the church does own land there already. And I don't know if that factored into the decision or not, if they were looking in the general area. And they said, like, well, we actually have two plots of land ready to go in that city. So if we could, and Yerblin is also, just to be clear, Usually ranked as one of the top five places, like best places to live in the country on those kinds of lists on CNN and what have you. It's a lot of money and horses. It's that kind of jam. <laughs> and so uh, obviously the temple is going to go there and not in my hometown, Placentia, which is mostly famous for gang warfare. So <laughs> your Belinda has got it going on. But I'm super stoked. It's going to be so cool, man. Uh, I know, Kurt, you're leaning at that. But that's just like I couldn't believe here in your Belinda. We're mostly famous for the birthplace of Richard Nixon and the Nixon Library, mm -hmm. where we'd have homecoming dances and things like that. <laughs> it's really fun to dance with your sweetheart and see Richard Nixon's grave out the window right next to you. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Who doesn't love that? Anyway, so cool temple announcements. I think this is just great uh, all, all around the world and many of them in the U.S. You know, we've been doing a lot internationally. But in this case, I believe, what, how many were in the U.S.? Ten of them in the U.S.? Nine of them in the U.S., I think. And uh, all of them in the rock, you know, west of the Rockies, more or less, which is pretty interesting, yeah. too. Not a single one in the eastern yeah. United States. You know, Jeff, I, one thought I had, Jeff, is, you know, it's interesting to see kind of your thought process as you do that temple prediction episode. Um, and just obviously makes sense to sort of see how how stakes are laid out. And obviously yeah. that would lead you to guess certain areas over others. But I also wonder, like, sort of the strategic approach. And obviously there's much revelation involved in this as well, which goes without saying. But um, I often wonder, like, putting temples certain places, if maybe they have uh, streamlined this process, maybe temples don't aren't as expensive as they were or or that or, or how much of that investment gives back when as far as engagement of members right maybe it's a maybe it's not there's not a ton of stakes in an area but by putting one there it maybe somehow engages the the membership in that area in a different way and which blesses the overall church and the building and gathering of Israel and so forth so just it's interesting to think about maybe various reasons why they pick certain places or look more closely at certain places or it could just be like you said well we have this we already own this land and there's not really doesn't make sense to use it for anything else. Then let's put a temple on it. Yeah. And then, and I don't know what, what happened. Like, like for the Nauvoo temple, for example, this didn't just like when the Nauvoo temple was announced back in whatever that was 2001, 2002, uh, it wasn't just like the church said, let's do it. It was actually that uh, wealthy benefactors approached the church and said, we'd like to help bankroll a temple in Nauvoo. Yeah. But then the fundraising comes after that when everyone got really excited about it. I don't know if that anything similar happened in your Belinda or any, any of these other temples for that matter. But yeah, temples can be a great way to stimulate excitement and, and all those sorts of things. And I think it's tough. You know, Southern California, expensive place to live. It's hard for people to settle there and get their feet. Uh, I think it's it's terrific. I'm glad all these places are getting temples. It's going to make yeah. it really hard to predict temples six months from now. Because for all I know, President Nelson's just going to be like, all right. So Taylorsville's got one, right? West Valley City gets one, too. That's right. Also, let's build a third temple in South Jordan. And then they say, whoa, 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 President Nelson, what about Harriman? He says, no, not Harriman. <laughs> Bluff, Bluffdale. It has to be Bluffdale. I mean, anything could happen. Who knows? It's crazy. Maybe it'll just be like Oprah. You get a temple. <laughs> you get a temple. And you get a temple. He'll sit in the conference center and say, everybody, just please look under your seat. And we will reveal <laughs> who gets a temple. Where the temples are coming. So, anyways, I, I geek out about this stuff, and obviously, I'm super psyched about your Belinda. So, thanks for indulging me on that because I'm uh, we're all a buzz about that sort of thing. Any temples that excited any of you before we move on from the subject? Uh, I lived in Eugene for about a year, and it's um it's a nice place. I w- and also my my in laws live in Corvallis, which is about forty five minutes from there. And they they actually before the pandemic they commuted two hours every Saturday to work in the Portland Temple. And so I hope that eventually they'll be able maybe if they still want to work in the temple once things that they can work a little closer to home. They're getting older and. The idea of them driving two hours on a Saturday night because they work the evening shift, it doesn't appeal to my wife or or to me for them. So I think that's exciting for them. Eugene's a lovely, lovely place. So that's good. I have, I have family that live in um, Fountain Valley. My brother-in-law lives there. And they also are like, what? You're Belinda? Like, <laughs> that's so... They don't have this, to. They'll probably stay in Newport Beach. Though. Yeah, I'm sure they will. But they were they were excited about it too, even though they were a little puzzled too. But I think it's <laughs> puzzled. <laughs> it's 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 so interesting because you think, well, are they preparing just for the future? They just want to have temples, or like, well, if if the pandemic happens again and people can't travel, but we can still keep temples open, we just want them to be closer to the people so they don't have to travel to go to a temple. And lots of reasons, like Kurt said, that we don't really know. But I, it, it's definitely exciting. When I we didn't catch the evening the the last session, we were. 
um, doing something as a family. And so when I got a, a Twitter update on my phone and I saw that it was like 20 temples, I had to like, it's like, really? <laughs> it was very exciting to read all of those yeah. names. So it was great. Yeah, that's one of the, like, there's probably just a handful of, like, mic drop moments at the end of conferences or sometime, you know, even the President Hinckley announcing the smaller temples and those things where it's just like, whoa, like, it just, like, if he would have said eight, nine temples, we'd have been like, oh, cool, here we go, you know, but this is like 20 temples was remarkable. Well, it's nice to watch it and not have people screaming in the audience. That was kind of refreshing to have, yeah. um, <laughs> which I get. But I personally, or opposers was, in the audience either. Yeah, what I was excited about was um, the announcements. I'm always excited for announcements in Central and South America, and I thought fascinating. Jeff knows how I feel about where the Book of Mormon took place. Fascinating that Elder Gong kind of got up and talked about the people in Latin America and said Lehi's descendants, not the people in Ohio, but the people <laughs> down in Central and South America. So I found that fascinating that he did that. So that was that was a happy moment for me. You should write him a letter and see. I am going to write him a letter. I'm going to say thank I, you for saying that. <laughs> I should write an article. Let's just let's go after Great Lakes people, Soraya. Let's do this. We have. Well, I don't care about Great Lakes. Great Lakes are it's the heartlanders we have to go after. They're the crazy ones. So. I know, but Great Lakes is my my favorite. Okay, fine. fine Great Lakes is fun. They're very cute. Um, but <laughs> yeah, the heartlanders, the ones who are who are leading people on a slippery slope out of the church. So. Sorry, I'm not going to take over with that. I think, well, I mean, we could watch, con- oh. we could talk about conference or Soraya could just tell us all no, about let's, it. No, let's talk about conference. Let's talk about something like conference. I want an after show now. Yeah, I'm in for that. This Definitely the, want to hear about that. This will be the Patreon exclusive. That's what we're going to be fun. I'm from uh, East LA County, Claremont. So I texted my know? dad. Yeah, well, high school. So yeah. I texted my dad. I'm like, that has to be closer to you than LA. I mean, everything is closer than LA. So, <laughs> And that's kind of the part I was thinking of, like not yeah. just the immediate stakes right there in Orange County is one thing, but I think the people in like, yeah, Claremont, Chino, yeah. Pomona, that neck of the woods, you're mm-hmm. stuck either, you're just stuck right there. So why not be in your Belinda? That's at least a little bit better. Yeah. He, yeah. He said, I hope we're in that district because it'll be 20 minutes versus two hours to get yeah. out there. So that would be great. Before they built Newport Beach, getting to the LA Temple would be so stressful that our stakes started chartering buses for Temple Night because people would get, they'd, they'd be like, all right, let's go to the Temple. And then you sit on the freeways forever. And by the time you get there, you're like, freaking LA, man. And you're just <laughs> in this terrible place. So they, they said, they're like, we think too many of you are angry when you get to the temple. So we're going to charter a bus, yeah. bring a sack dinner, and we'll just relax and enjoy being together. Yeah, but, talk about but did it work, yeah. Jeff? Did, were people I, chill by the time they got there? Oh, yeah, of course you chill. You just bring a sandwich, hang oh, out. Yeah. It's great. And this is before like smartphones were even a thing, right? So yeah. that, that might be totally different now. But yeah, it was great. I liked it. Oh, man. That's smart. All righty. So. Which talks have we not got into? There's some I missed out on because I have young children that were, you know, being young children. And so my notes are like, like my notes for Elder Jorge T. Becerra. I have a, uh, I have a bullet point and it's blank. So if anyone has, <laughs> or just, you know, if anyone wants to fill in on these great things that have just right, just write okay. Pobrecito next to it. That's all you know. I have. Like I could tell Elder Matumbo gave a great talk and all I wrote was pray, pray, pray. And I got, I got nothing else. So. I liked his. I liked Sister Jones, Joy Jones. This was kind of like her farewell talk. Her swan song. Yes. And it was teach your kids and teach them young, which of course was slightly guilt inducing for me. Um, But I also like, she gave just like lots of good ideas, like do some role plays. Um, 
you know, do all these things. Um, just try to have gospel conversations. And um, one thing I liked, oh, it wasn't her. It was somebody else that shared a story. Oh, it was Elder Mutumba, the one we just talked about, Mutumbo, um, when he was talking about how what a punk he was as a kid. That actually helped balance out the guilt I felt <laughs> from Joy Jones <laughs> because I was thinking of some of my children right now <laughs> who are a little sassy and um, particularly teenage ones. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I just love it when they share personal stories like he did of when they're a kid and when they do stupid stuff. Cause then it makes you, it re- reminds you, yes, they're human. They're normal. We're all people. We all go through phases. It's normal. My kids are going to be okay. Even if they're punks for a little bit, <laughs> hopefully they'll be okay. <laughs> her, from her talk, the thing I really liked, I feel like, I don't know, sometimes I feel like when I'm watching during a conference, I feel like they have to come up with a sound bite or a meme, something that can go on a picture and be put up, you know, on Facebook and stuff. Yeah. But some of it's really profound. And for Sister Jones, I thought was the uh, eternity is the wrong thing to be wrong about. I thought that was really a beautiful sentiment. Yeah. Yeah, we tweeted about that one on our, our Twitter and we joked. I said, this applies to both life and cologne choices. <laughs> yeah. But I like that pretty. one too. I, th- I thought her other great quote was uh, she said, accidental conversion is not a principle mm-hmm. of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a parent, it's so easy to hope like the kids get everything mm-hmm. through osmosis and through all sorts of, obviously you hope and you can't control everything your kids do. But it was a good reminder for my kids and for myself that, like, yeah. you know, we're not just going to, like, stumble into a testimony, really. Like, yeah. It, makes- yeah. it was a good reminder. I think a lot of times I think they'll see my example. They see my example, <laughs> which is good. But her talk was really a kick in the pants for me that, like, yeah, my example's good, but there's still a lot of work to do. <laughs> so. Absolutely. Well, to your point, like like you were saying before, her point about um, teach your kids young, but then she was like really like stark about it, where it's like you know you've got this period where the, you know the adversary can't influence them, so take advantage of it. And, and I, anyway, that, I never heard anybody say it like exactly that way. I thought that was like definitely sort of lit a fire for me, where it's like hey, you've got like a time window, and then there's like you know gets real tough after that. So. Well, what is the cutoff? What is the cutoff on that though, Dustin? I'm very curious where that That's window question. begins. Are boys or girls? <laughs> I have three boys, so tell me. As a girl mom, I would say eleven. <laughs> I'd say mine's thirteen. I see it thirteen. We were good until then. Are we so. sure it's not two and a half? Are we? <laughs> I know this thing. I understand the point she's making about not being influenced by Satan. I'm like, I have four kids. I. I think there was Satan influence going on when they were younger. They were crazy people. So, you know, um, you understand her point, but yeah, I thought, Oh, I'm pretty sure he was tempting them and doing all kinds of stuff. So. <laughs> I had no idea. I guess five years flies by. Like I completely did not register that she was going to be up for release as primary general president. I really, it's not just because of COVID, but I think she has been such an impactful uh, primary general president. Unless we forget, I, if I'm not mistaken, aren't the other uh, organizational presidents, weren't they diff- all her counselors at different stages as well? Hasn't like the entire female leadership apparatus of the church stemmed Shifted from the presidency around. of Joy I, D. Jones? I guess uh, Sister Bingham, right? It was Sister Bingham. Bingham that's right? who it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wasn't the uh, young women's president also... I think she was a former counselor in one of the general relief society 
in the General Relief Society presidency. I don't remember if put it together, but yeah, Joy D. Jones has been pretty darn impactful in terms of people of everything she's done. Uh, I'm a visual person, so I need like a map. Does anyone have that ready to go? (laughs) (laughs) A a, a tree? I was going to say, do you you know who Joy D. Jones is? We can start with that. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I just want to know where they've all been and going. I'm trying to remember. I don't know if the church maintains like a you know, the former list or anything like that. And Wikipedia is a little bit iffy on that front. Let me see here. GMB, Bingham, Rosemary. I don't know. If anyone listening wants to find that for us, you know, please, by all means, make it a thing. Sounds like a job for Twim, Jeff. Well, it does, but unless you guys want to talk well for the next 10 minutes while I sort this all out. (laughs) So I think we put that out there to our Facebook listeners saying, hey, Google this and leave a comment while we talk about other things. Yeah, we can't Google. We don't have that ability. (laughs) What, they think we're using computers? What is this? crazy all righty what else do we have folks let's see here we talked a bit about elder gong correct i think it's we a great uh, talk it was a great talk i love elder gong we need lots i just elder gong is awesome i need more elder gong in general there's a if you know who j kirk richard is i actually went to high school with him he's a painter and he has a new painter a new painting that he's done if you go to his instagram feed you can see it and he's created like a congregation and what he did is he painted different people in the congregation that represent people that he's known throughout his life. And so uh, he's done different things to indicate how they're different. So he painted like a member of the bishopric in a rainbow jacket to indicate he's, he's gay. They painted trans families in the, in the congregation. They painted people with disabilities. in the congregation. So he basically created this painting that like, you know, all can be within the gospel of Jesus Christ and should be. And I thought of that painting when I heard Elder Gong's talk, and I really loved the analogy of like the, the, the Samaritans in as what the church should be, as what the, the gospel should be. And I, I just really, uh, it was a very powerful image to me, I think, one that I hadn't heard used in that way before. Absolutely. I'm just going to sit here, people. <laughs> Was it Elder? Is it pronounced Dube? Dube who talked about. Oh, he was great. Oh, you're thinking of the Dubey brother. Yeah. <laughs> is that how you say his name? Dube. Yeah, that's how they said it. Yeah. Well, I laughed when he was talking about Elder Holland grabbing his oh, face yeah. in his hands. And then he saw him do it to Elder Oaks, I think, or President Oaks. And um, actually, I laughed because when I was. In high school, um, Elder Holland came to my stake. It was right before he became an apostle. And I he was coming out the door, and I like ran into him, kind of trying to go in the side door. And he grabbed my face in his hands. So I was like, yep, that's his signature. I can attest. That's his thing. <laughs> so... Well, let's let's talk about Elder Holland's talk. What did, what did we think about Elder Holland's talk? I admittedly did not get great notes from Elder Holland's talk, and so I'm struggling to come back to a lot of it. And I don't know if uh, I don't know. There, this one did not jump out at me as as much as most Holland talks tend to. I would say. I mean, you know, it's he's a meme practically when Elder Holland's speaking, and everyone's like, "Shh, get ready, everybody." Uh, but I actually don't have a lot I can pull from this. Did anybody else get any good takeaways from Elder Holland this time? Everyone's like staring down at their notes like they're taking a This, this yeah. is one of the, uh, he, he uh, referenced abuse, I think, near the end of his yeah. uh, of this talk. So Yeah, and he had pretty strong words about it. And I wrote down, he wrote, everyone has the right to feel loved, peaceful, and safe at their home. And he quoted some strong words from President Hinckley. And mm-hmm. 
It was good. Not what we usually hear from him. Yeah, but it was good. And he said, peace may be taken from the world, but it doesn't have to be taken from us. So that was, you know, something that was helpful as well. Oh, nice. I hope he's doing well. I don't know if anyone noticed, but they never showed him uh, walk to the pulpit and back. And he's 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 been using in a couple of random public appearances, which there's been few of over the yeah. past year, of course. He's actually been seen with a walker. And I know the church, remember last year they said he was uh, released yeah. from yeah. some kind of sickness. And they said very clearly, it's not COVID. But that's all we know. Yeah. So I don't, I mean, he seemed obviously totally fine, like as far as his faculties. So I don't, I hope he's not enduring something too much, but I'm, I'm guessing he's having a hard time getting around right now for some reason. Well, I thought that was really interesting because I had seen him, especially in that Roots Tech video where he was walking with a walker. And I thought, how are they going to do this? Is he going to walk up there? And then when they said, oh, we're going to have a choir number, I was like, oh, they can get him up there during the choir number. And then we're going to have a video message after that. I was like, oh, they can get him down during the video message. So we didn't have to see him with the walker. And, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, if he's feeling bad about having a walker. I just, I love Elder Holland so dearly that to know that his health is not, is not well. I'm like, I don't want to see him in ill health. I I need him around for another 20 more years. Well, I think they also don't want to make it he wouldn't ever want to make it about him either. Like if, yeah, if they right. showed him approaching and departing from the pulpit with his walker, it would be very conspicuous. And that's it would be talking about. And I think it's the last thing he would want. He just, his remarks yeah. would matter, even though we're talking mm-hmm. about this, but his remarks would matter most. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it doesn't really matter what he says. I just always feel like he's just talking only to me. So mm-hmm. he could say anything and I'm just like, okay, I got it. <laughs> I'll do it. Comforting. Yeah. I'll do whatever you say. Squeeze my face, please. Please. He is. He's always so comforting in whatever he says. He's kind of so, like a grandpa. Or- Elder Stevenson's talk was interesting because I never thought in general conference I'd hear about rabbit testing and fatty deposits and stuff like that. <laughs> this is an interesting area to get into to, to make a point, which I loved. And his, his, and his points in the end, of course, were about being kind and using social media effectively and this and that. Um, it was an anchor point for my kids. Look, they're bunnies. Look at the bunnies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And that's one thing I was cracking up. I was like, where did this B-roll come yes. from? Where did it come from? Like, where do we have people in lab coats with rabbits? Who's filming this? <laughs> I imagine them like producing it for the like someone now hold now be nice to the rabbit. Like I that's where my mind. I would love to see Nobody that casting call. Cause like there's a Facebook uh, page for like being a part in church productions. Um I would love to see that one. Like we'd like someone like a young young female, mid-20s perhaps, must be comfortable with, with, with small mammals. I know. Um, Haley, you gotta get in on some of those. I would have loved that gig. I don't know. <laughs> Is there an inside group we don't know about? How do we? I no, really just there, like you. There is a Facebook page. Yeah, there's there a really Facebook is? page for, for like casting for, calls. Yeah, for casting oh. stuff. But you have to you have to be in Utah, I think, for the most oh, part. Like yeah. a lot of things in the church, <laughs> you have to be in Utah to be cool enough. I think you mean Zion, Jeff. <laughs> Well, the other thing, too, is if you ever go on there and look at some of the things they cast for, there are very few parts that they're casting for white people. They really spread the broad ethnicity that they are casting for. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. And that's reflective in the productions that we see. Yes. I think what I liked about um, Elder Stevenson is he recycled some things that 
I don't think we, I think we should probably hear every conference. Like he quoted Elder Uchtdorf saying, stop it, which I think we need to hear a lot. He, he quoted, um, I think this week was quoting it. Was he quoting President Hinckley when he was talking about the families that wouldn't let their kids play with members, not members of the church? I don't know if that was him saying it or if he was quoting President Hinckley, but regardless, it's been said in conference before and needs to be said again. Um, so I think I, I appreciated that. He talked about bullying and reminding families to, you know, be loving and tolerant and benevolent. So I, I think um, lots of great things that just we should hear regularly throughout the church because we still have problems with it, obviously. Yeah. And, he, and he also spoke about, you know, prejudice, like his quote, he said prejudice, racial tension, or yeah. violence should never have any place in our neighborhoods, communities, mm-hmm. or within the church. And I'm glad they're still up on this. Like this hasn't gone away even in the years since all the George Floyd things hit. And, uh, and they're still talking about this and reminding us. And it's sad that even in our own ranks as Latter-day Saints, like this is an issue. It's not just like what we see in our communities and we're supposed to be the noble Latter-day Saints making it better for everybody else. Like it's, it's among us and we have to kind of get our own houses in order too. Yeah. I love too. He broke it down. He specifically spoke to primary kids and then he specifically spoke to young men and young women. And then he specifically spoke to the adults and for me, it made it really like, okay, this is personal. He wants every person at every age to get this message and take responsibility for their part in showing kindness and making it better. So, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, anyone have any thoughts on President Iring's talk later in the uh, Saturday morning session? I guess we've bounced around a little bit. It's fine. But uh, he spoke about the temple. You know, especially that first time he went there with his brother, I was brother and his dad. And I love, I love this for President Iring so much. I've always loved President Iring. I think he makes things so, he takes everything down to such a, a relatable, really base level in terms of emotions and in terms of experiences. Like they're always humble experiences. Like he went to the temple, he felt he'd been there before and he heard a voice say, no, you, you have not been here before. You are remembering a moment from before you were born. You were in a sacred place like this. I just love stuff like that. And seeing President Iring, for one, he's looking a little more frail every time we do this. It also, it makes me sad too. Just I think his counsel has been some of the most, for me personally, just just potent and valuable uh, through my times in adulthood. And I miss the temple, like obviously because of COVID, most of us haven't been much lately. And our temple in DC has been closed for three years anyway for renovations. And so it's, uh, it's a good reminder, even though it's hard to get to the temple right now, that we should still be worthy of it. Hmm. I feel like a lot of the messages you're asking, what was general thoughts you had about conference? This felt very run of the mill for me. And I hate to say that. And I I don't want to be insulting or disrespectful in that sense. But um, I went to BYU and I had um, Brother Reed Benson. I don't know if I've shared this story before, but you know, he was President Benson's son. And one of the things he said to me in class that I've never forgotten is he said his father would regularly really lament the things that he, that he said, they cannot even keep the basics. They cannot even do the simplest things that the Lord asks them. So we have to spend every conference reminding them of the bare minimum that they have to be doing, but that there's so much light and knowledge that the Lord wanted to give us and could not, because we could not even do this. Well, well that's nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> So Thanks, I, I guess every time I, every time I hear conference, I'm kind of like, oh, okay, we're not doing what we're supposed to do. We have to talk about racism. We have to talk about loving each other. And we have to talk about going to church and going to the temple. And that's kind of what I feel like is yeah. it's just let me know where we're at as a people that we have to come back to all this real basic stuff, you know, that we have to bring it up because we're not doing it. We need to do better. Yeah. 
you have to wonder how much how much church leaders sometimes also feel similar to parents, you know, because how many of mm-hmm. us just like you know, repeat the same stuff to your kids over and over again and hope that they like get it together. And I'm sure they feel similar to that all the same. Just like, man, I wish the I wish the members of the church would just like lock up on this and just get it done. And so we don't have to harp on it forever. But we are humans. We are frail. Well, if we want to talk about something that's less run of the mill, perhaps, Soraya, um, why don't we talk about other Neil L. Anderson, who decided to make Ooh. everyone talk, get excited about the it's, it's interesting, right? Because he, t- he spoke about abortion and it's it's we view abortion as a like a thorny subject sometimes. Right. I don't know that we necessarily have to in, in that sense, but I think it, I think it's funny. We're so sensitive about it, even though I, our, mostly our standards at the church level is for as far as how we feel about abortion when it is okay the, the rare times that it is through through prayer and counsel and things like that um so i think his remarks shouldn't come as a surprise but obviously it's just it's a much bigger discussion than his one uh talk and so i'm gonna back off here i would love to know what all of you thought about elder anderson's remarks on this subject and uh what takeaways you might have had No one wants to see anything on the record. I feel the women should weigh in before I No, oh, let's let the men talk about it. Hey, that, that was one of the criticisms on the internet. I mean, kudos yeah. to Elder Anderson for exploding the internet on Saturday. And then uh, uh, President Oaks followed up on Sunday. <laughs> but yeah, that was one of the criticisms that I saw in some of the comments on the internet is, you're a man, why are you talking about this? You don't have any business talking about this. This. And I'm like, well, yeah, he kind of does, but yeah. neither here nor there. <laughs> well, if they didn't I, want to talk about it, they would have said she doesn't have any authority to speak on the subject. So exactly. <laughs> I I appreciated how he said, you know, children are a gift and we should celebrate children. And I love that. I love that message. Um, I think, yeah, I think you, yeah, you read Elder or you read his talk and then you read Elder Oak's talk like with it. <laughs> that would be a good <laughs> partnership. Um, because I think, so, I think what I don't like to see happen is when someone will hear a talk like that and they don't, you know, do their research maybe. And then all of a sudden it just gives them a reason to vote for someone and like, Oh, it's because of this talk. And maybe they haven't completely, you know, just done all the research. That's all <laughs> I'm going to say about that. But whereas Elder Oaks was like, yeah, do, do your homework. Like, know how you feel and not everyone has to vote the same or think the same. That's okay. Yeah. Well, and not only did he, you know, go, go down the thorny path that can be sometimes filled with landmines of abortion. And I don't say that meaning that, you know, I could completely agree with the church's position, but then he stepped into it and talked about family planning and said, Hey, our birth numbers are going down. So we want you to seriously consider in prayer with your spouse, bringing children to the earth. And that can also be a really sticky wicket for a whole bunch of different reasons, because, you know, you can have women that for whatever reason, maybe they only have a couple of children and they get judged by women who have more children as well. You're not as faithful. You didn't have as many children. And there could be a lot of reasons why they only have a couple of kids. Or you get women who feel like they need to keep having kids and maybe maybe emotionally and mentally they're not equipped to deal with that, but they feel like, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. So I it, there's there's just so many 
landmines when you start talking about family planning issues. Yeah, it's I totally, totally agree with you. Yeah. I mean, my mom, I mean, growing up, you know, I'm one of nine. My mom came from a large family. They taught in general conference, you are to have yeah. children soon and often and as many as you can. And I, 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 she always tells me a story. I think it might've been President David O. McKay where his daughter just kept having children, having all these medical issues and getting hospitalized. Then he walks in like number nine and she goes, is it enough? Have I had enough? Like if I finally prove my worthiness as a woman and I can finally stop. And I thought, because we have to walk these lines where we have to be careful. But I think it's kind of fascinating that he brought it back up because yeah. I have a brother-in-law who really disagrees. Cause my mom taught us have a bunch of kids. That's what she'd been taught. It's what she taught us. And, um, and I have a brother-in-law who really disagrees with her and got very angry with her over it. How dare you teach my wife that? How dare you teach her that she's supposed to have a lot of children? And she's like, because that's what I was taught. That's what the prophet yeah. and the apostle said. So I find it very interesting. He's like, they don't say that anymore. Well, you know, now they have, you know, okay. So he's kind of bringing it back around. And I, I think if we believe as we do that there's a pre-existence and that there are spirits waiting for bodies, what better place than to give them a gospel home? But like you said, there's so many things to consider and so many instances and stuff. And you're right, women do get judged. They do get looked at, they do get talked about. You know, I have four, which is big today. I would have had more if I could, but I had secondary infertility. I'm like, so if this comes back, am I gonna get judged because I only had four kids? You know, I don't know. But you're, you're completely right that that happens. It was interesting. I was just surprised I was, yeah. of the I was, focus, I was about the focus yeah. of it. Um. I was just wondering, like, when is the last time we've had a talk like this so focused on family planning and abortion? It feels like, well, yeah, well, I don't know, 80s. I don't know when to tell us stuff. I did a little, so family planning, I didn't get as, I did a little mm-hmm. bit of research. Um, family planning, I don't have as much uh, positive to say. And I just closed my Google Doc that had <laughs> notes on accident. The little, little control shift T, folks, if you're using Chrome, just so you know, you can restore a tab you accidentally closed with control shift T. It comes right back. It's great. Um, one thing I want to say real quick is that I think the the family planning side of it's very interesting to me. And I think the church has always sort of hinted at this, basically saying, but usually it's more along the lines of like, don't delay starting a family because you want to travel or because you want to do these. Though people have shared those remarks yeah. for years. Right. But, yeah. but I think Elder Anderson just got very explicit about it like, and, and just di- the same message, basically, but he's worded it differently uh, in a different way. So I don't know as much about family planning in that sense. Uh, but as far as I was trying to find when someone spoke about abortion this much at length, and it's actually pretty hard to find. I mean, it, for one thing, it doesn't help the church, the way the church weights their search results on LDS, sorry, churchofjesuschrist.org <laughs> are awful. And they don't like, they don't do you any favors. It's a mess. <laughs> but I, sn- I, I sniffed around a little bit. Uh, there's some, there's a talk from April or from 2012 by then Elder Oaks called Protect the Children. That one is more about, it's much more much broader about protecting children, but he does have at least a whole paragraph where he says the word abortion. He says the word abortion five times in his talk, which is like the most anyone said it until this past weekend, as far as the words. And that's, he just said nothing. We don't know. You know, he says the one cause of the diminishing birth rate is a practice of abortion worldwide. There's an estimated more than 40 million abortions per year. Many laws permit or even promote abortion. And to us, this is a great evil. Um, but that's pretty much how he spent his time on that talk before that you are getting into the eighties. I mean, president elder Nelson, when he'd only been an apostle for about a year in 1985 did give an entire talk called reverence for life. That goes, the whole thing is about that single topic for the most part, but you're right. You don't see it as much yeah. uh, in this day and age, not, not this much time dedicated to that one specific issue. So it makes you wonder about the timing. Cause are there a lot of abortions happening in the church or is it, I don't know. <laughs> well, is technology changing so that 
things don't feel like abortions anymore. I was actually thinking about the time when my was my husband the other day. Is Plan B an abortion? You know, have you? I, I don't know. Is that does that count? You know, we're advancing technology technologically. I'm like, how do these things change? And how does the church start delineating? I don't know. I, I find it, and I wonder if that was the reason why. Is because so many things are changing where maybe it doesn't feel like it's an abortion because of this or that or you know what you can do here. So I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, but then coupled with a statistic of over 50% single or, you know, not unmarried or there aren't enough men or whatever, righteous men, then it's like, well, what are we supposed to do? How do we have these babies? <laughs> or, you know, it's, it's a conundrum. We yeah. Have. yeah. One thought well, I had with, with it all with these, obviously these are uh, difficult. Nobody wants to be the apostle that, oh, I'll take abortion this time around. You know, I'll, that, that yeah. sounds like. Like they have uh, a wheel they spin. Right. <laughs> But, uh, but it's interesting, you know, Jeff, you've talked, uh, you know, various books you've read and authors you've interviewed about, uh, Ezra Taft Benson. And yeah, yeah, I mean, he has a history of some interesting conference talks, but one thing I appreciate about him is that at least you knew where he stood, right? Like whether you agree with him or not. And I appreciate talks like this because there's sometimes so much time can go where this issue isn't directly uh, addressed. And so it's easy to make the assumption that maybe the church has softened on this issues that's become more and more complicated. And so maybe it wasn't the perfect talk. Maybe there's a different way to say it. Maybe there's points that people disagree with, but I appreciate even with the Pre- president Oaks constitution talks like, well, now I have a better idea, like where they stand with it. And whether I disagree, it gives me something that I can wrestle with and contemplate and take to God and, and really ponder over. And so I wish we heard more of these talks because as a general authority, you typically hear very general messages, which is, you know, fine, but uh, it's always nice to just hear like a good, hard, directly, uh, a direct topic that's addressed. So, And what I think is the one thing that's really important to remember in all this, it, it was one topic and it's one part of the much larger conversation. I mean, right. I mean, it's, it's one thing to say, like, we believe abortion is, just broadly speaking, abortion is wrong and we don't like abortion. Like, And we want to avoid ab- having more abortions in our society. That's a perfectly fine thing to say. And that's the the bulk of what Elder Anderson yeah. was saying. Um, of course, he wasn't getting into like, actually, like, how do we deal with this? I mean, one answer, of course, is simply like, well, if more people had testimonies of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ, that could help. And it would. Sure, it would. Um, but I don't think that is going to go as far as looking at actual like policy areas. Like, how do we really address mm-hmm. this? Obviously, an apostle is not going to weigh in in that area and, and try to get to that mess. <laughs> but yeah. but I think that's something that we that's where we really need to be thinking about it. I was actually really impressed with people on our Facebook page. We kind of put a put this question out to them and said, like, look, so like we don't want to get we don't want any angry comments here. Right. Like, I know some people have ruffled feathers about all of this. Let's like actually discuss how do we approach this? If we if we agree we want to reduce abortions. Like, what do we do? Because just saying don't get them isn't enough. Like, what action do we take in our communities, our town halls, our churches to create environments where it doesn't seem like as much of an option? I I guess more or less, I think a lot of the time, especially in the U.S., we talk about reducing the supply of abortions. But what are we doing to reduce the demand, really? And and that's like the big thing. And I know that's everyone's got different opinions on that. And I hope that's something that we will all uh, consider ourselves, all of you listening as well, like within our communities, like what can we actually do then that'll help in this regard? I mean, you can look at stats all over the world and show how other developed nations have legal abortion and lower teen pregnancy rates than the United States. And so we can ask, well, why is that? Things like that. But uh, 
it's worth considering. So I have a lot to say on it, but I don't want to turn this into a giant political podcast. In the, right? <laughs> I think one of the things that he said that I appreciated that I, I wished it would have been stronger was he talked about how we need to find ways to support mothers um, so that they could have the choice to like to keep their exactly. baby or adopt it. I think that's something that I, I wish uh, you just hear the word abortion. It's already a strong word. I think the phrase supporting mothers could have been stronger. Cause I think lots of people hear the phrase not to get too but like the pro-life, but really most policies today are pro-birth, not pro-life. Cause they're, they're not supporting the life of the baby beyond birth. It's just, let's have the baby be born and not aborted. And so I think we need definitely have more discussions of that. How can we support women so if they can make the choice to keep a baby and put it up for adoption, if that is something that can work for, for them. But yeah, I, I, I really appreciated that that phrase was at least in his talk, albeit could have been stronger, I think, but it was good. And on the other side yeah. of that, like, what do we do for adoptive parents, for example? Are we making it easier for them? Are we making it more affordable? Adoption is really expensive. That's why I think yeah. one of the, I, I know this was kind of out of our hands, but the fact that LDS Family Services stopped providing adoptions yeah. itself a few years ago was a bummer because it was really one of the most cost and cost-effective economical avenues one could take to adopt a child because the church subsidized a lot of that. And now that's, now that's out the window. So like, what do we do on that front? So it becomes a much easier option for those who are seeking to adopt a child as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of good nuggets there. Did we survive that talk, Jeff? I mean, this is that was a pretty good discussion, all things so. considered. Is everyone still a believing member? Are we okay? <laughs> I mean, raising my hand. If you're not, it's your business. It's not mine. It's not mine. It's whatever. That's, I'm not your bishop. Your That's great. Um, so I thought I thought Haley really nailed it with her point about how you know it's you got to take it in context, right? And and like all of conference, that's a lot of what I was thinking about is that it's a tapestry of different voices that the Lord is using for diff- to say different things, right? But if you take it holistically you learn a ton and, and, and you put it all in context and there's a lot of insights that, you know, kind of move the work forward. So anyway, I thought that was a great point, Haley, that, you know, that was a strong voice in a lot of context mm-hmm. and a lot of other voices that coming together is like, you know, becomes a unified message from the Lord. Uh, priesthood session. I mean, I watched it. I don't know if like sisters, if you're interested, if you watch it for funsies or, I mean, I watched the women's <laughs> sessions cause it's, it's great time, but I don't know. Anyways, anybody have anything to say about the priesthood session. I mean, we had Quentin L. Cook spoke a lot about what bishops do. Yeah, that's what I love, Jeff. I like, I feel like we don't get those talks like we did in the 80s and 90s of like, I remember President Hinckley gave a talk specifically about bishopric counselors. Yeah. Like, uh, and that, and it's really just like a great talk for someone to call into the bishopric to look back on and read through. And, and, uh, and so I, I love that talk of just sort of because the bishops are really, you know, obviously I, I, live in live in this world with leading saints and that's a i get that email a lot as far as like bishops being overwhelmed they don't know what to do so to have a have an apostle sort of give them permission more more forcefully to delegate and to refocus and things i think is going to be really helpful for the church in general i feel elder cook always gets the handbook talks though like he's always given the explanation talks about policy. Maybe it's because it's his strength, but I, well, that's his jam. I, they don't yeah. assign topics. I think that's just an area that probably he is, likes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think yeah. he might have some sort of uh, role where he's over um, handbooks and things, just like President, sense, or yeah. Elder Elder Uchtdorf talks a lot about missionary work because he's oh, right, over right. missionary work, you know? So that may be 
that may play into it. But. Is that where Elder Cook is assigned? Is he the handbook? I don't know, but I'm, I'm assuming maybe so. But and he's a lawyer, you know. What do you? I don't know. The handbook's gotten pretty exciting recently. If you've right. been keeping up with all the updates, there's some stuff in there that you're like, wait, page turner. <laughs> okay, like the section about vaccinations was in there. Yes. And was, they changed recently, and yes. the affinity fraud edition. Affinity yes. fraud, energy healing. I mean, it's it's I all love in there. We- that, that's a great example of what Soraya was talking about before. Like, we have to have a section in our handbook now about affinity fraud because we're yep. rubes. And we just <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, yeah, he's this guy in my ward. It's going to be great. He just told me he needs, he's going to take 50 of my dollars and turn it into $150. He had a revelation about it. Yeah. So, you know, you should he's trust him. about my income. I, feel yeah, so I saw you in my downline. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I think that's the name of this podcast. I saw you in my – that seems like so – like. <laughs> In the temple, I saw you in my downline. Anyway, so, so Elder Cook, Elder Cook, I've always said, I think I, I like his talk. His talks, I think, are some of the ones that That's are good. almost the most worthwhile to go back and review later on. Like when he delivers them, they're great. There's lots to take into it. But if you go back and read what he writes, there he he does a lot of good homework here on what to talk about. I haven't been in a bishopric, you know, Kurt, so I can't relate to all of that stuff that you do. But I do think, you know, I, I'm. Well, I'm loosely in a bishopric as the executive secretary, but we all know that's like the fake members of the bishopric. The clerk and I, we're kind of on the outside looking in. Like when it's time to work on callings, we're like, all right, we'll leave the room, whatever. So um, I did think that part was interesting when he talked about how bishops should resolve contention between families. Because I think that skirts up on that area of how we've been moving away from bishoprics trying to serve in any kind of a a counseling capacity and like the, the pitfalls of that. And he sort of just steered right into it and was like, yeah, but you do have like a role to play to re- improve contention at home. It's a different thing if you're dealing with, you know, abusive situations and things like that when authority should be involved. But I thought that was a good reminder because I think with so much of the discussions we've had over the past few years, it's almost been like Bishop's like, oh, you're fighting. It's not my jam. I'm going to put you in touch with family services and uh, you can just talk it out, figure out your stuff. Well, hopefully it was like a call to action for like everyone else on the ward council or everyone else, the rest of us. Right. Like, I hope that's was like, like the takeaway is like, Hey, it's hard to be the Bishop really got to focus on the youth. It means everybody else, but like, you know, it's like, you, you kind of said it, which is, which is a good point that it's like kind of giving a Bishop permission to delegate, but hopefully it's also making it so they don't have to. Right. Cause everybody else is like, got it. I need to step up. And like, even as you say, take on more counseling responsibilities or things like that, if you're in an appropriate position. So that, I thought that was important. Uh, I older I it's older Corbett's talk, Ahmed Corbett's talk. Um, he talked about just um, hard things can be expected of us, but we can, you know, be brave and continue to face life. Forward. I like this talk not only because it was a good talk, but also I worked with him at the P- his bio talked about how he was the general counsel at a PR agency. I uh-huh. worked at that PR agency with him in New York, so. I was hired and then he joined the firm like maybe a year after I did. So I worked with him for about two years before I left that. And he was just the nicest guy then. So when I saw his face pop up conference, I was like, I know him. That's so crazy. So um, he works for the church, but also he's in the um, young men's general presidency. So it's, he's not a general authority, I guess he's just a general officer of the church. And that's something worth noting general officers uh, for like, can still have day jobs. At least I guess on the male side, because the Relief Society general president is a general officer, but I am assuming she 
is doing doesn't that do yeah. full time. I'm assuming she doesn't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Come nothing on. taking care of kids or family. <laughs> Come nothing. on, Jared. Um, <laughs> as Gifford Nielsen is like, did you all know I played football? Did you know I played football? Cause I want to tell you about the times I played football. I, I, who was There's good. a picture of me playing football. Right. He, he was good. But when he got up there, cause brother Corbett was just like very measured and had a great stuff. And Nielsen gets up that I'm like, this guy's done the fireside circuit. Like, you know, it. he's just like, <laughs> All right, I'm going to own the podium. Now. Well, and Here he's we a are. professional newscaster, right? Yeah. So he yeah. sort of is trained with that teleprompter, right? Yeah, it was fine. I mean, if we're all okay with President Ukdor or, or, you know, always using aviation analogies, I suppose we can let the football player talk about that time he was like in the street. <laughs> but <laughs> Elder Ukdor's not allowed to do that anymore because they did a focus study on it. And they said people in other countries didn't understand his analogies, which is why he doesn't talk about flying anymore. Soraya Wilson, really? tell us more about this. What is this? Yeah. Really? What? We didn't hear about this. Your yes. mom told you this. No, she worked at the church offices for a while. So, yeah. but they do, Is she they do still going to be working there after this podcast? is <laughs> She's retired. She's retired. So she's okay. But I do. Yeah, she told me that story that, yeah, they they, they focus group their talks in that they found with Uchtdorf that his flying analogies were not relatable to the average person in Africa or in Latin America right. or whatever. They weren't landing. So they weren't landing. <laughs> they were <laughs> So that's, yeah. that's him right there, Haley. But that's why you see in his talks anymore. Does he talk about it anymore? Does he talk about planes? Does he talk about flying? That's why. And so it's not just him. They do it to all of them. They're yeah. all being, I thought, look at the hand gestures they make. Look at how they talk. Like this is all professional. They're not just getting up there and winging it. They have people who are telling them how to talk and what to say and how to inflection to use. And, yeah. you know, that is happening. Can so, you imagine uh, President Oaks being approached with a focus group report? I think he would just like, yell at everybody. Get out of here. Like, I'm I'm writing a talk here. <laughs> you stand over there and wait till I'm done. Yeah. So I will give you... Go ahead. What would it take to have any of this data copied and shared? <laughs> <laughs> let, me see if I can, let me see if I can find something. I'll go looking Wrong for website, it. Jeff. Wrong website, Wrong yeah. website. You want me to go to Mormon Leaks? No, I'm going to beat them to this for Kurt. <laughs> Well, Sorry, I Karen. have always suspected when you hear the sisters in general conference speak, they all seem like they're cut out of the same mold. So that would make sense, you know, if they have professionals there who are speech coaching and training them um, because they all just sound the same. And I've always been perplexed as to how do they always sound the same? And, and again, I'm just talking about the sisters. Who yes, speak that's for wise. Yeah. This they all have different hair. They all, and I thought, <laughs> I'm, if I ever talk in general conference, I'm going to get like a big hairdo and I'm going to put like a ball gown on. Like I'm going to go full out and just <laughs> enjoy this moment. But that, they always wear the nice suits. you know, No pastel colored suit for you? <laughs> yes. No, nothing Solid for me. Color. No scarf on my neck. I'm not getting the bowl haircut. You know, I'm not doing it. But oh, come on. But like, I'll never talk in general Jones conference. rocked that scarf the other day. You she know did. Her. That was a bold, beautiful scarf. That was but I remember, awesome. I remember there's this woman who spoke that I heard her in general conference and my mom and I at the time talking, and I don't remember who it was. We're like, oh my gosh, this is like a real person. She's like a real person. Like, this is so exciting. And then the next conference, she had the haircut. She had the suit on. She sounded like the rest of them. And I'm like. I think that was probably Sister Marriott because she started been, yeah. out very real. And then yeah. she then she molded quickly. Yeah, but so, Sister Abuerto is not like that. I feel I like that's true. That when I real, and I feel like she's that. just down to earth, dressed like. Yeah, love, it. love that. Yeah, mm-hmm. relatable. Yeah. Maybe yeah. the form. Maybe it's just the is. Yeah. So is it a is it a is it a Utah thing really? Like, do the do the non-American ones come in and can mix it up a little bit better? <laughs> I don't. know. I loved all the hand gestures though in some of the pre-recorded ones, and I loved how sometimes the camera cut. It looked like they weren't at a pulpit. 
But then they change yeah. the camera angle and you're like, oh, there is a pulpit there. I'm like, what are they doing? This is madness. There's no, <laughs> there's no pulpit. But then, yeah. oh, okay, okay, it's there. It's but there. some of them were, they were green screened, right? Like they might have had the pulpit, but sometimes some it, would white, like, it would look like yeah. there was, it looked like. But yeah, they were, they were so animated. Or, they were like giving was, us a sales presentation. I was like, yeah. I think because they weren't in the conference center, they were in probably someplace that was more comfortable to them. Yeah. I think they'd like Haley said, they're definitely more animated. I really liked all those pre-recorded conference talks from an undisclosed location. I think those yeah. were, those were great. My Maybe favorite hand cool. gesture, or sorry, my favorite hand gesture was Elder Gong talking about Instagram. And when you double tap, like go back and watch that. Cause it's so funny. He goes <laughs> double tap. Like it was so cute. <laughs> I was only going to say, I, I would love it if we could, like one of the one of the benefits of the pandemic has been this, like we had all these remarks piped in from elsewhere and we had different choirs and stuff. I, I hope that we learned some lessons from that going forward and we can not, as much as I love the Tabernacle Choir and everybody else, like it would be fun to yeah. mix it up a little bit. Yeah, but you don't have anyone in the Tabernacle Choir sitting there like playing with their face and like not singing. That's what we want to see. That's what we're here for. <laughs> To see us in the choir. We're here we to want a private program. <laughs> that was awesome. So I can dig that. All right. So as we're we're running long, do we dive into Oaks? Do we have any other ones we want to touch on before we get all constitutional? Before we go on a constitutional, <laughs> as the Brits would say, out for our evening constitutional. I just watched 101 Dalmatians. They actually say that in the movie. I promise that's how British people actually speak. Let's do it. All right. Let's go so, for it. Though I do think President Nelson's Sunday uh, morning address was, yes. we'll come back to that one. So, because let's talk about the Constitution of the United States. Oh, yes, Kurt. Thank you. President Oaks, talk on the Constitution. Very good. <laughs> so, uh, I, I think I heard on the internet a collective like, oh boy, when this started out. Well, I loved how he just like set it up like, I'm about to talk to you about the U.S. Constitution. Buckle up. Like, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, it's funny. That's two talks in a row, though. He's, mm -hmm. he's said, I'm speaking to the American members of the church right now because I know he is troubled being a jurist and all that. He's troubled by a lot of what he's seen for the past two conferences because, mm -hmm. you know, last time he gave that great talk all yeah. about all okay. about essentially being civil towards one another and how we should respond and protest and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, See, let's talk about that's Sorry. exactly what I thought, too, when he started in on this, given his talk in October, is I thought, wow, what is going on politically here in America weighs very, very heavy on him to have two talks like this yeah. back to back. Well, because he gave his first talk in October and then yeah. the election happened. And of course, you know, I mean, like it didn't go. It wasn't like the smoothest transition yeah. that we've ever had. <laughs> and uh yeah. And so I imagine that's weighed on his mind. And one thing that I'm really curious about that I'm trying to keep track of is even though he's saying, I am not speaking to you as a partisan, none of this is that. I know inevitably different partisan elements within our faith community are going to pull different things from it. I'm really curious what the interpretations are going to be as this settles, because I saw after his remarks last time, it was exactly split. You had like liberals being like, you see conservative people listen to the man. And then the exact opposite side, they're like, you see my silly liberal friends come back to the faith. And it just, uh, so I I'm, went down the rabbit know. hole today of comments. Uh, uh, no, Tiffany, you know, better than that. I know better than <laughs> that, but I do this every time myself. Resist. <laughs> and so when I got over here to Ariane and I said, well, obviously his talk was effective because both the Democrats and the Republicans believe he was speaking directly to them. Yep. So he reached everyone, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, 
and yeah, and I think like we're saying, sorry, he's he's troubled by I think a lot of what he's seen, and there'll be parts that we can pull out that I think anyone could interpret in different ways. But he did speak about like five divinely inspired parts, and I liked it before he said that he set it up really saying like the Constitution is divinely inspired, and then he added to it and said, but. Like amendments to the Constitution have also been divinely inspired. The Constitution was divinely inspired, but it was still done by a man and it wasn't like perfect out the gate. That I think is really important because there are many people who think like the Constitution was perfect. I was like, what about the Bill of Rights? Like, like we had to add that, you know, later on. Um, He made some little points like that. And he even said, um, you know, other things have happened down the line. Different interpretations have also been divinely inspired. And then I love that he kind of said, not every Supreme Court interpretation has been inspired. And he kind of had the smug look. And I really want to know what he was. Yeah. I really want to know which ones he was thinking of when he was saying that. Uh, so, everybody, what what did you take from this wonderful talk? I live in D.C. and I'm hot in the thick of this stuff all the time. So, please, please speak speak about the Constitution. Well, before we get into, into everything that he did, I just want to praise the man for getting up and saying, here are my credentials. <laughs> if you want to argue with me, this is a fight you are going to lose. Like, I wish he would live for a really long time because, oh, my gosh, would I love to see this man as prophet. He would just, no nonsense. No, you know, I love President Nelson, but, you know, he's so sweet and gentle and kind. And President oh, Oaks would be like, you bunch of sinners, stop it. You know, like, he would just get up there and everybody's screwing up. So I, I found that fascinating going into it. He wanted to let you know this is not just his hobby or, you know, this thing he has a slight interest in. This is yeah. his life's work. And he understands it in a way that, None of us do because we don't, we haven't studied the way that he has ever, ever, you know, gone to work every day doing this stuff. But, uh, we should organize a debate. That'd be awesome. There should be a, someone should actually debate president Oaks and like, I think they would lose. Awesome. I think they would lose. (laughs) Slaughtered. Yeah. Yeah, I, I find them really interesting. I just, I loved that. Like you said, it was interesting because, you know, I have a relative who is very liberal in the church and he thinks the constitution should be abolished, that it's an outdated document, that it's, needs to be updated. We need something brand new and fresh. And I'm like, well, Elder Oak says no, you know? Um, so, but yeah, like you said, it could be for both sides and for people who are real rabid and conservative and, you know, ready to storm Capitol building to take back the country and put Trump in the kingship position. You know, this is his rebuke saying, stop it. We don't support one person. Yeah. We support the country. We support our government. I, th- I just had to think though, people in other countries have got to be like, oh my gosh, you Americans. It's like us when stuff happens in Utah. You're like, oh, you Utahns. You know, what are you doing that's making the rest of us have to change rules? But it's got to be people outside the country are going, what are the Americans doing now? We have to have a talk just for us. So. I know. I was wondering that too. Did they tune out? Like, Yeah. And they're like, cares? okay. Well, then you've got like, like 30% of the church probably can't even watch that talk. It's been censored by their autocratic regime. <laughs> So they're just like, I genuinely wonder that, like, will you be, if you live in Russia, will you be able to access President Oak's talk mm-hmm. at all? I mean, he spoke out against tyrants and autocrats and those yeah. who would wield power unto themselves mm-hmm. and manipulate the constitution accordingly, which is like exactly what Putin has done, for example. So I'm, I'll be curious about that. If anybody has a VPN and we want to fiddle around with where our <laughs> servers are, we can spend a whole afternoon just seeing, <laughs> seeing what's blocked and what's not. Um, so the main takeaways, you know, we talked about the five divinely inspired parts. I don't, I don't know if that's to assume the other ones are not divinely inspired, but those are the five main divinely inspired parts. Kurt, what are they? Quiz. Oh my goodness. Let me, uh, come on, uh, Kurt, right now. Uh, the five divinely inspired parts are, um, stand by. I'm getting there. I'm kidding. Ben Walker, uh, Walker. No, that's a different uh, Christopherson. I'm, I'm getting to, his, to the notes here. Who's Christopherson? Who are uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, here it is. Here it is, Jeff. 
The five to finally are uh, sovereign power comes from the people. Yes. Division of power between nation and states. Uh, number three, separation of powers between government branches. Uh, number four, guarantees of individual rights and government authority. And number five, purpose of the entire constitution. Okay, that sounds... <laughs> I don't that's know if kind of, my notes are accurate. Kind of, that's like an umbrella one right there. <laughs> right. And everything else. <laughs> well, thank my you. favorite part of his whole talk was when he just talked about how, you know, you need to vote for whoever's going to be the best person. And he said that may mean changing your party affiliation every single time you vote. And I love that so much. When have we ever heard one of our leaders say that, like, be that direct about it? Well, not only did he say changing your party affiliation every time you vote, but you may vote for a party where you don't agree with everything in their platform. Because sometimes it seems like, well, if I don't agree with everything that I can't vote for that person, even though that person may be the better choice. Mm -hmm. Well, I also went down a little bit of a rabbit hole with some comments on this talk. And I was amazed it's um, it related to Elder... um, Anderson's talk about how there are so many, you know, one issue voters and that issue is abortion. And so I can never vote for anyone who supports abortion um, because, and they gave their reasons. And, and I'm like, well, there's, again, we can discuss that. There's so many issues. There's so many other things, but I, I think it's, it's hard because it's such a polarizing issue. And I think elder Oaks tried to say, it's not polarizing. It's the constitution. Like this is our country. Um, I also like how at the beginning he attempted to make it a global talk by saying, well, there are other countries that are inspired. Their documents were inspired by ours. And really, really, the U.S. Constitution is a heritage of the entire church because it allowed the gospel to come forth. So that was his attempt at the beginning, which is is true. Like we would not have the church because we were, we were in the car. We had like stepped away. And so we have satellite radio. So we were listening to conference while we were going to where we were going. And my younger kids were like, is this conference still? <laughs> Are you listening to one of your podcasts? Maybe like, it's become a BYU forum. What is this? <laughs> they were so confused. They're like, why are we talking about the Constitution and General Conference? Well, I, I admit we missed the setup because we turned off the TV and got in the car and then got in maybe five minutes later. It's like, I'm like, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Let's just. <laughs> but no, so I appreciated he at least attempted to say this is a global issue, but it really was to us. So, but I. I think it stood out because it was so different. It's not something we're used to hearing in conference. And so that hopefully it made people stand up. But I think the let them have ears to hear applies very much to this talk. People are going to hear what they want and people are going to say, well, well, he says change who I vote for. Well, I I disagree with everybody on this one issue, so I can't vote for any of those. I'm going to stick with this. And I think he's trying to say that that point misses the point, which I I appreciate. Well, it's true that. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Dustin. I was just going to say it's true that, you know, American politics like does affect much of the world. Right. And if nothing else, I had the thought that I'm sure a lot of global membership of the church like kind of needed to hear that it, the crazy things that everyone in the world is aware of that have been happening in the U.S. are, are not OK. Right. Like that. It's very clearly kind of said by a church leader that like this isn't okay. We're not okay with this. We're not aligned with this. Right. Like I think that a lot of global members of the church at a minimum probably needed that kind of message or hopefully took that kind of message away. But on the flip side, I was also like, he, he did try to be 
like he, even though it's like president Oaks and he's like stern, there were a couple of points about being positive. Like he did say something about like, Hey, we should be positive about the nation's future. We should trust the Lord. And he even had a couple of points that were kind of action oriented around like, Hey, you need to pray for your leaders. Like you need to be engaged. You need to pray and ask the Lord how you should be engaged and like making it like very clear that we have a duty as members of the church, like reminding us it's been said before, but in an effective way, as he often does saying like, Hey, you have a civic duty here. And like one of the ways that you need to exercise it is pray for your leaders like pray to figure out how you can be better engaged, like take this to the Lord. Cause it's a big deal. And it's not something that you can just like consider just a secular thing. So I thought that was kind of an important piece that maybe didn't stick out as much given some of the other big stuff he was saying. It kind of reminded me of how we always say, well, you know, the gospel of Christ is perfect, but not necessarily all the people that, <laughs> you know, are in the church and they are you know, fallible and make mistakes. It kind of felt like he was saying, look, the constitution is inspired and it's an inspired document, but that doesn't mean that everyone in politics or everyone that is representing us is anointed by God or is making the best decisions. But we have this inspired document to be like a good foundation for us to study and refer back to. Yeah. And one other thing I loved, um, was that he also kind of came down on pushing politics from the pulpit, which I think we've all mm. seen in mm. some capacity, I think, in our lives. And that was also really valuable because that made it actionable as like how we do this at the church level. Because it, it happens. I mean, especially in areas where if you're like a dominant socio-religious group, whatever it might be, I'm not like pointing fingers, but obviously like if you're a denser population of Latter-day Saints in the Intermountain West, there's a strong likelihood that that might be something that could happen to you at one point or another. And likewise, it could, you know, it could happen anywhere else. I'm sure you could be in a, I don't know. What's it like Jared up there in Boston? Do you have people ra raging liberals from the pulpit? You know, stuff like that. Yeah. I just think it's a great reminder. It frustrates me so much, no matter anyone's personal politics, when that sort of stuff seeps up to the pulpit level and we treat it like it's acceptable. Cause it's just like, not why we come to church. That's not what, what it's there for. And I know there can be a fine line on moral issues that we need to speak out about, but I've been in meetings where it's been like, uh, I don't think this is exactly what we should be talking about right now in sacrament meeting. And we've all observed it. I think it's, I haven't, I don't remember a time when there's been a really stern reminder to just like cut that out. Like just that there's no place for that, especially if you're in a leadership position because you will alienate members of your ward. And I've been in that, uh, I've been in that position uh, one time when I was still single, where we had something very much along those lines happened. And you had a line of people who then went and lectured the bishop afterwards, like all of his meetings for the next week were people just chewing him out because they were upset about some things. And that doesn't do it. How do you build Zion if you're doing that? Right. Like that doesn't help anything. So. Well, the other thing, too, that I wondered is, you know, how we're going to obviously spend the next six months studying these talks in priesthood and relief society is. And this goes back to what we talked about earlier, taking Elder Anderson's talk in conjunction with President Oaks's talk. If we are having a priesthood and relief society discussion on Elder Anderson's talk, how easily could that divert off into a political discussion? Yeah. Um, which, again, I mean, the church says, hey, we're going to take a stand on moral issues, which they do. And I'm glad they do. But again, that can easily dev devolve into just like we talked about earlier, one issue, people who vote solely on one issue or, um, you know, look at something and say, well, I could never vote for anybody who supports that. Um, and so I, I think it'll be interesting to see um, in wards how that how, how that kind of plays out in the next six months, because I'm, 
I'm guessing that both of these talks, just by virtue of how the nature of them and how much they stood out, will probably be on the agenda for Relief Society and Priesthood discussion. Because I think we've gotten to the point in the church where um, discussion is equals contention. And many people think it does. They think they're the same thing. That if you disagree and you don't sign up to whatever the teacher, instructor, whoever is saying that, if you present an opposing viewpoint, well, oh, you're creating this, the spirit of contention is coming into the class. Like, no, it, you, you can present a discussion with contention, but you can also just have a discussion. So I definitely, that's hopefully we can, and that talks to what the, we heard in general conference about civility last time and what we've heard more of that being kind and, and compassionate yeah. this time. So I, we just need to get back to a place where it's okay. We can disagree and we should disagree, but we can disagree and, a good way and it's not contentious. That's a really good reminder, Jared. I think, yeah, that's a really good reminder. We get, we get too uncomfortable with having differing points of view and we can help each other out. All right. So I'd love to talk about president Nelson's uh, Sunday morning address before we get to that. We can maybe close out on that one. Any other, any other talks we haven't touched on here? I know we've skipped around quite a bit. Anybody else give any talks that you loved that you're dying to share with the world? I, I did just say, and I'll touch on this really quickly. I loved Elder Razban's talk when he was talking about miracles and that miracles have not have not ceased. And that if you're not seeing miracles, then your life is not in alignment because miracles are all around, especially if your life is in alignment. And I loved his story about the power going out in Goshen and him asking the Lord and President Nelson asking the Lord and being granted this miracle. I just that that talk just warmed my heart and gave me all the, gave me all the warm and fuzzies. I also wanted to plug uh, something that I saw that I hadn't seen before. I don't know if it was new this year, the church news tweeted out a link to a PDF. It's like a two or three page summary. They have like a paragraph summary of every single conference talk. And um, I had not seen them present that that way. So it has like a picture of the authority or whoever spoke and then the key points of their talk and it's just in one PDF. So you could probably find that on the church news website, or um, I know I saw it in their Twitter feed, but as I was preparing for this, it was uh, really helpful. And it was a resource that's out there and people might find it helpful as they review general conference. It's kind of like a cliff notes version. That's like a paragraph long of every single conference talk. It was really helpful. I thought. Oh, really quick. I just want to, one thing that um, elder Uchtdorf, talked about with, um, in regards to, I really liked what he said about the mistakes that we make and how it was like, so empowering how don't, you know, focus on your mistakes as these bad things. But he said, um, how do we treat or how, how do these mistakes become opportunities for us to be more self-aware and to help others, which is such a great way to think about, you know, things that we struggle with or that we've gone through just, as being such positive, um, a positive impact on our lives and others. I think my children really enjoyed uh, Elder Uthoff said at least three times, "God is among us." <laughs> my kids the really game. enjoyed that. The game. <laughs> They're like, "That's so sus." Yeah. Yeah. It was. I thought I don't think he even knew he did that, but yeah, they enjoyed it. <laughs> Any others? No one loved Elder Christofferson. That's just guys. He talked about tennis. Come on, it was great. Unforced errors. Actually, I liked unforced errors. I think that was a fun thing to think about, actually. But that's all I wrote down. 
And about baptizing microfilm, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. That's all I had there. Well, that's fine. Um, I loved President Nelson's Sunday morning address. We always look forward to that. We always know the prophet's going to speak on Sunday morning as the closing speaker of that session. It's something to look forward to. And of course, on the Sabbath day, it's great too. Uh, and this one was powerful. He really he framed everything sort of in the sense that we're a year into this pandemic. And it's, it was kind of a combination of what have we learned? What do we need to learn? And you know, how can we have faith? How can we weather our trials? Uh, there's a lot of notes here, I think, uh, that, I, that I took here, you know, some of them personal in nature, but I think it's really spoke so much about faith and what we can do with our faith. It takes faith to join the church. It takes faith to follow prophets. It takes faith to serve a mission during a pandemic, which I thought was an interesting factoid because the number of missionaries plummeted by about 25% last year after they released the uh, statistical report, for example, because a lot of, I think a lot of them just straight up, because they gave them the option, like you can defer the rest of your mission until later if you want. And that's fine. That's their choice, of course. But it's, I, I don't think it's an easy time to be a missionary. You know, I think it takes a lot of faith to be a missionary right now. And you saw like how much the baptismal, the baptism numbers for the year dropped by about half compared to what they usually do. Like, it's not an easy time to be a missionary. Bless them that are just going for it anyway. And they're doing a great job with that. Uh, th- that jumped out at me quite a bit. And then he talked about those different tips, um, things we could do uh, to him. I think it was to improve our faith. I just wrote tips. He framed them as tips to do something pr- in particular. I just wrote tips. So if anybody remembers what that was. So the five suggestions? Yeah, the five suggestions. Uh, he, said to, he said to study, choose to believe in Christ, act in faith, um, partake of sacred ordinances worthily. Um, and maybe I, I think I got to ask for help. Yeah, ask was your heavenly father one? for help. Yeah. No, I wrote yeah. those down. I just meant how he framed it, like tips to do what. I just wrote down oh, tips, okay. like life tips, faith tips, repentance tips. I don't remember what they were. No, you're good. Um, yeah, but to study, become an engaged learner, know the doctor. And he spent a lot of time on the first two in particular. And he mentioned moving mountains more than I've ever heard someone talk about moving mountains in a single talk, which I thought was uh, yeah. well, it was very interesting. You know, only he said, "quote Only your unbelief will keep God from blessing you with miracles." Choose to believe in Jesus Christ. Now, how do you guys feel about that? I've always loved the concept of choosing your faith because I think it's such an interesting doctrinal area to explore. It's easy to say, like, I have faith, so like naturally I want to naturally I want to follow. But stepping back and saying, like, I choose to believe, I choose to believe this, and then I will like receive the confirmation. It reminds me of that. Was that uh, Elder Packer who used to say, like, you know, a testimony is found in the in the bearing of it? I think I'm paraphrasing yeah. a bit, Kurt, right? Yeah. Yes. It's kind of a similar idea. It's like choose to believe and like then you will experience a confirmation of your faith, which is a very interesting idea to me. And to no one else. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> no, I think great. it is. No, I, oh, we're fine. I don't know. But I, I just appreciate, you know, President Nelson, you know, before he was the president of the church, you know, I, I appreciated his talks. I was always, uh, uh, you know, I thought it was endearing just how he liked his uh, simple um you know, you know, his, his simple jokes or things in there that made people smile. But it's just interesting to see the, uh, when these men step into this role as the prophet where he his talks just have a level of confidence and uh, impact that they didn't have before. Maybe that's just my own shift of my own thinking, but it's just cool to watch. And, and I appreciate every every time President Nelson talks and I look forward to it in, in a much uh, in a different way than I did before when he was speaking as an apostle. But. 
I kind of get what you mean there. I think when he was apostle, he used to also tell like some little jokes that you could tell he was really pleased with. Like he'd always <laughs> smile. He'd always kind of have the smile, like and like for the audience to laugh. And like he doesn't do that anymore. And it's funny because yeah. I remember he'd do it almost every talk. Like I oh, always remember oh. his "Ask the Missionaries" talk. You remember that one? That oh, yeah, they good. can help you. They can help you. Ask Sometimes. the missionaries. Right, right now, they're not allowed to physically touch you, but they can. They can help you. Um, he had this. He had this phrase that really stuck out to me when talking about faith, where he said, "You know." envision or i think you said like visualize what you would do if you had greater faith like think about like what you would do or be if you had greater faith and then just go do that anyway i thought it was like i'd never heard it put quite that way and i found it like a compelling way to think about like what does that mean in practice I, and i, I, I re- go ahead go ahead i was gonna say i, I really enjoyed i have seen a surprising number of friends and things who have left the church and they tell you the reason why. And it's things like, well, I found these things about Joseph Smith's history or, you know, and I, I felt like President Nelson ad- directly addressed that. He said, the people who find a flaw in the fabric of a prophet's life, and they use that as a reason to leave. Um, and he said, don't surround yourself with doubters and that we need prophets instead of pundits and popular opinion. Um, and that faith will enable us the unlikely to accomplish the impossible. I, I thought it was a great talk. And I just thought, like you said, in choosing faith and choosing to do this, that we don't even know what we're capable of. We don't even know what, I think we don't even know what God's capable of because we don't always let him work in our life the way that he wants to. Yeah. I, I appreciated. Thank I was thinking of that same thing. So some of the comments that were critical of this, of his talk I saw were, well, you know, doubting is not a sin and things related to those things. But I'm like, it's like, you have to seek for truth. Like at, at some point though, you know, we all know the church is, yes, there is truth in the church, but there is no box of golden plates that we can go see. At some point, it all comes down to faith. Um, and so I appreciate how he said, um, uh, where did it go? he said, everything good in life begins with faith. Um, and he says, we do not have to have perfect faith to access perfect power. Um, and I, as I, I didn't respond to these comments, like, this is not going to be productive for anybody. So I was just, I just, but it, it left me feeling sad that people like, well, you know, there, you can doubt and you, you can seek for truth. And I'm like, well, yeah, but there's something that most of the church, it's not objective truth. We say, I know a lot in the church. We don't really know. Um, I know president Hinckley many years ago talked about having a certitude that we, we can believe very strongly, but we don't know. Um, and so I think his words were very comforting that like we can have faith, we can increase our faith and question increasing faith is, is not wrong, but we should be smart about how we question and, and seek for um, the faith that we want in our lives. Yeah. How refreshing would it be if we could do more culturally to get away from the whole, you know, knowing versus believing thing. And just when you said that, Jared, it made me recently, we, we were called a new counselor in my bishop a couple of weeks ago. And when he got up to, you know, bear his testimony, do, do the usual things we do in those kinds of meetings, he spoke, he's like, there are things I know. He's like, and there's a lot of things I believe. And like, to me, that's enough. And he spent a long time talking about how there was all these parts of the gospel that he believes and he was not saying no. And I love that he had the guts to do that, especially in a setting like that. Like, hi, I'm your new counselor in the bishopric. Um, but to be really frank and human about that, because it's okay to believe like you're saying, right? It's, I, I think we, we, focus so much on knowing, knowing, knowing that I think it, it can inevitably lead many people to be 
to be stressed out or feel less than, feel inadequate, you know, in the eyes of the Lord, because we can't say that we absolutely know something. And it's okay to believe something, right? I mean, it's, you know, like like they said to the Savior, you know, help thou my unbelief, not help thou my unknowledge. Help thou my unbelief, help me believe. Uh, I just think that's that's great. I love you touching on that, Jared. I think that's uh, it's an area I've thought about a lot over the past few years, and I wish we could just be just a little more, just a bit braver, I guess, in our meetings and just saying that it's okay to just believe and hope for things and not have to say, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, because people will judge us otherwise, right? Yeah, and just, you know, honor people where they're at in the process. And like, I'm in a mixed faith marriage as it were, because my husband is no longer active. And so I definitely feel every day I wake up and I make the choice to believe in what I believe in. And I think it's very powerful to say you believe something versus knowing it because I mean, not everyone has that gift of faith. It is, it's taking a huge, I don't know, leap. I guess that's why it's called leap of faith, but you know, Well, and that it's, it would be so easy if there were a box of golden plates, right? Then we could just be like, yeah, see, we know it's here, but the Lord will never do that to us. We will never be in a position where it's just complete fact until the end. And because there's so many blessings in having faith and the Lord said, you're more blessed if you believe without knowing, if you believed without any proof. I mean, I had a friend who was questioning and said, I've never heard the Lord speak to me. I've never heard a voice. Everybody talks about hearing these voices, and I've never heard that. And he talked to a member of the bishopric, and he said, have you heard it? And he goes, nope. I mean, this is a guy in his late 40s, and he goes, never heard it my whole life. I really hope it's all true. I believe it. I have faith. I'm here. You know, he said, but, and I thought, what a comfort it was to that person to have someone say to him, I am in your boat. I know exactly how you feel. And we're so caught up in having these experiences sometimes, like you said, that we we forget that other people are not, that we're not all we're all in different boats, maybe the ocean and different sizes and different things are happening. Um, and some people are in the middle of a storm and some of us are in calm waters, but that we have to be respectful of where everybody's at. Yeah, absolutely. And I hope that I, I imagine what Jared was also kind of hinting at with the reaction to some of this talk, because I could easily see when there's lines that say like, you know, take your questions to the Lord, to other faithful sources, study with a, a desire to believe rather than hoping you can find a flaw in the prophet's life or a discre- discrepancy in the scriptures. Yeah. I know many people who have not, been trying to study things because they're trying to tear down Joseph Smith. They have a genuine desire to believe, but they still can't get there. And they still have difficult experiences and it, and it still takes them away from the church. And I hope we'll be sensitive to that. I think it's very easy to read these remarks and see like, here, like, here we go again. You know, they're just saying like, you didn't believe enough. Right. And I don't have all the answers to that. I think at the end of the day, yeah. some people, it is like we say, it's a choice. You have to choose to stick it out. You have to choose to hope for good things. And uh, for some people that's, that's not something they want to do at that time, but it's good to be sensitive to those things because most of the people I know who have left the church haven't done so because they were looking for a way out. It's because they simply like, they, they worked as hard as they could and they couldn't get there. And hopefully that changes for them at some moment in time. I hope it does. And we have a comment from Rachel Allen. I thought this is one of President Nelson's best. I felt the spirit strong during it and I feel a difference as you talk about, I feel, and I feel... And a difference as you talk about this talk. Talk about the talk and talk. Yes. Thank you, Rachel. Appreciate your comment. Well, I think it's time to wrap up. We've been going very long. I, I, uh, I think you've all been, look at the sigh of relief as I say this. Everyone's like, oh, gosh. Finally. It's over. Uh, unless anyone has any last words, but I'm going to, if you do, just, just jump in like you would at a wedding if I was marrying the wrong person. But otherwise, just, you know, hold your peace. But 
This has been a great discussion. I've really enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. We hope, of course, if you haven't subscribed to the show, you'll please do so uh, wherever you get podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, what have you. It's everywhere. You can find This Week in Mormons in all the land. And join us at thisweekinmormons.com. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all those good places. And a big special shout out to our Patreon supporters. You guys help make a lot of this possible. So thank you very, very much for everything you do for the show. And we hope some of you will consider joining part of that fun family. So I'd love to thank the panel here. I'm just going to list off your names. Kurt Frankham, Haley Smith, Soraya Wilson, Twim Sisters. You do have names, Tiffany and Ariane. <laughs> Justin, Jared Jones. Hey, thank you all you guys so, so much. It's wonderful of you to spend time with us and offer your insights. I think they are invaluable. I admire all of you. I learn a lot from all of you. So thank you very much. You, Thanks, you're Jeff. welcome, Jeff. It was yeah, great. that's right. Say my Thanks. name. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So everybody, until we meet again, we hope you have a great week. We'll be back next week with more news, lots to digest still. Until then, be well, be holy, and be happy. Kurt, take us out. Thank you.